John chapter 6. We are in the midst of the bread of life discourse as we ended the last time we were here Jesus talking to them about this bread that comes down from heaven they said Lord evermore give us this bread verse 35 Jesus said I am the bread of life he that cometh to me shall never hunger he that believeth on me shall never thirst but I said unto you that you also have seen me and you believe not. He was in their midst. He did miracles. They saw what was happening. They heard him speak. And he said, Jerusalem is turned away. Now Galilee is turning away. He says, I said to you that you have seen me and you believe not. Now, verse 37, he sets the contrast to that unbelief. When he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For the reason I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus? the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves, he knows. No man can come to me except the Father, which has sent me, draw him. And I will raise him up at that last day. It is written in the prophets that they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So the Lord putting something in front of us, bread or sustenance, that there's a sustenance beyond what probably many times we strive for. So many times we think we need certain things to live a particular quality of life. And those things are good. They're not necessarily wrong. But we're more than material. We're eternal. We're spiritual. And the Lord is presenting himself saying that I'm the bread of life. There is a nourishment that is necessary 
in this world that is so absorbed with the horizontal that there is of the vertical that which in and of itself gives and sustains life. You know, you hear people say all the time, you know, if I could see Jesus, if I could see him do a miracle, if I could see, then I believe. No, that's not true. Here he's saying to them, you've seen me and you believe not. They, they, they saw him do miracles. He's in the midst of it. And they're not believing. Now, he then steps into something that is beautiful. It's immeasurable. Church scholars have argued over for centuries, so don't look at me this morning for an answer. I'm a druggie that got saved. He says then, in regards to the unbelief on the part of those standing there, but standing through the centuries, he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You have this two sides of this remarkable issue. You have God's sovereignty here and you have man's responsibility. Now, obviously, in the final analysis, all of those who are given are those who come and all of those who come are those who were given. But he begins to put this in front of them and he says, he says, all, not most, all that the Father Giveth is in the present tense. All that the Father is giving me shall come to me. And that includes this morning. It includes the centuries and the, and the stream of humanity that was before his eyes and his heart at this time. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And then he says, him that cometh. He does something very interesting here. All that cometh, all is a, a neuter, uh, singular, it speaks of a mass, the mass of humanity. Out of the mass, that, those masses through the century that the Father has given me shall come to me. But then he comes to the individual and him who comes to me in contrast to the masses, the individual who comes, I will in no wise cast out. And he puts this remarkable picture in front of us. Where does God's sovereignty and man's responsibility congeal? How does that happen? How does that, you know, fit together in the same thing? Someone asked Charles Spurgeon about God's Sovereignty and man's responsibility, how do you reconcile those two things? And Spurgeon said, I never try to reconcile friends. You know, Hugh Ross, uh, I admire Hugh Ross. He's an astrophysicist and uh, uh, brilliant guy. I saw him once asked about God's Sovereignty and man's responsibility. How can they both be true? And he said, it's a funny thing that you're asking. He said, because as a scientist, 
those contradictions, those difficulties in scripture are one of the things that make me drawn to the scripture. Because if I knew if a human being wrote it, those contradictory ideas wouldn't be in there. And he said, you know, it's dimensionality. And he held up this picture of a triangle. And he said, photograph, height and width, two dimensions, three sides, three angles. This can never be a circle. It is a triangle. There's height and there's width. Then he held up a photograph of the same object, and it was like a Dixie cup standing on the fat end. And, of course, it was round. And he said, now, by adding one dimension, both things can be true. He said, what can't be true in two dimensions can be true in three dimensions. In two dimensions, it can only be a triangle, can never be a circle. In three dimensions, that can be a triangle and a circle. He said, that tells me where this book was written from enjoys more dimensionality than we do, because where it was written from, both are true. D.L. Moody said, Lord, save the elect, then elect some more. You know, So we have this remarkable picture here, all that the Father giveth me. And then we know in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, it says in verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. It says in verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. Again in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. It says in verse 11, Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. And remarkably and beautifully in verse 24, he says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And of course, Ephesians tells us, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Of course, Paul is not worried about Calvin or Luther or Erasmus or anybody, Calvinism, when he writes that. He's writing to a church, and he says, God chose you before the foundation of the world. And the picture we have here is that God has given from eternity, and man chooses in time. There's time and eternity placed here before us, remarkably, there are those who are given, and there are those who come. 
And of those that are given, no one's going to fail. There's not going to, Father's not going to say, oh, there's a couple that got away. But we did good. All that the Father is giving me shall come. There's no question. So people, you're going to move down and we're going to hear the Jews are grumbling. People grumble about this. That's not fair. I don't mind. I'm chosen. <laughs> well, it's not fair. You mean you can only come to Christ if you're chosen. And if you're not chosen, you can't come to Christ. I didn't say that. John said that. Well, that's not fair. What if I don't come? Well, you're not chosen. Well, that's not fair. Well, then come. <laughs> and you will be. It's nothing to do with me. He says, of all that the Father giveth me, they shall all come to me. And him individually, personally, that cometh, is coming to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's an oi may there, a double negative. I will in no wise. I will no, not ever. I will never, ever cast out. John Bunyan, this was one of his favorite places in scripture. He wrote a book about in no wise. These are guys that had more time on their hands than him. But he wrote a book in no wise. And he says, yes, we, we come to him with imperfect prayers. But he will in no wise cast us out. We come with imperfect attitudes. But he will in no wise cast us out. We come with compromise in our lives, but he will in no wise cast us out. We come sometimes to him backslidden as believers, but he will in no wise cast us out. We come struggling with anger or unforgiveness or some other thing, but he will in no wise cast us out. Philip says it's in a a line of remarkable things that cannot change. There's a counsel that cannot change, a calling that cannot be revoked, an inheritance that cannot be defiled, a foundation that cannot be shaken, a seal that cannot be broken, and a life that cannot perish. There should be nothing but incredible, I think, consolation to us here. There is the giving in eternity, and there is the coming in time. And how remarkable is that is placed before us. All the, he's seeing this group that's looking, and people say, if I could see him, if I could see a miracle. They're standing in front of him, don't believe. But he said, but all the Father hath given me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, years ago, Warren Wiersbe spoke at one of the Calvary pastors conferences and uh, they asked him about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. How do they go together? And he said, well, listen to Spurgeon. He said he was a committed five-point Calvinist that challenged people to be saved every week. 
Spurgeon was asked, well, if you're a five-point, if you believe people are predestined, why do you challenge people to be saved? He said, look, I like the fish. He said, I go to the lake where I live in my district and go to the fish. And he said, if I went down to the lake to rent the boat, and I said to the guy there on the lake, are the fish biting? And he said, eh, come see, come solve some. You might catch some today. He said, I'd go and I'd fish. But he said, if I came down and said, how's the fishing? And he said to me, there are 5,000 fish that will be caught today. He said, I'd fish. And he said, that's why I preach the gospel. There are men that will be saved. So what a remarkable picture of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, and yet the in no wise that's attached to it. Verse 38 and 39 broaden it to 40, really. For I came down from heaven... I will in no wise cast out all that the Father gives for because I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The will of him that sent me is that none be lost. I will in no wise cast out. And this is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it, the masses again, neuter gender, should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will, again, of him that sent me, now everyone individually which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And then he says, I will raise him up at the last day. So he, he deals with the mass again. Heaven is going to be a wonderfully crowded place. And he deals with the mass that will come. And then he deals with the individual again. One of the things that, that's interesting here to me is the, the mass, no doubt, is innumerable. It tells us standing around the throne in glory there are myriads of myriads, tens of thousands times, tens of thousands times, thousands of thousands. And yet it says here that the one who comes, I will raise up him individually. Which tells me that I can't hide in a crowd. I can't hide in a crowd. He knows my heart. He knows my faith. He knows my attitude towards him. He knows my joys and my sorrows. And he tells us here, this is the will of the Father. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't use the word that speaks just of an intellectual determination, the will of the Father. He uses a word, thelema, that means it's something visceral. You know, you might ask somebody, what's your gut feeling about this? You know, just, you know, how, how do you feel inside of it? So what's your heart telling you? You know, what's that internal? And that's the word he uses here for the Father. He says, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will, the visceral will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all that he giveth me, I should lose nothing, 
raise it up again at the last day. Again, in verse 40, raise it up again at the last day. In verse 54, raise it up again at the last day. Uh, Martha, Lord, we know that you're going to raise it up again at the last day. No, I am today. You know, Jesus answers her there at the tomb of Lazarus. He said that I should lose nothing but raise it up again at the last day. And then he says in verse 40 that he says, Everyone the Father giveth me that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And it's emphatic there, I, I for myself. I uh, encounter distinction to all others. I'm the one that's going to raise you up at the last day. I mean, he's gone there before us and come out of the tomb and experienced resurrection. So when he talks to us about resurrection, he, he's talking to us about complete resurrection, body, soul, and spirit. You know, when he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's his soul, his spirit. But the body has to be joined back together again. You and I as Christians, we don't believe in some ethereal life after this life. You know, when I see my dad again in heaven, I'm not going to run and go, dad, and go, ooh, and run right through him. You know, the wonderfully there's going to be this, dad. Because this is going to be raised. This is going to be raised again. I know there have been many people burned at the stake. I know there have been many people buried at sea. I know that the crematorium does in 20 minutes what the grave does in two years. In Israel, you were buried, put in a sarcophagus, a flesh eater is what it means, And then after two years, because of the limestone humidity and so forth, the relatives would come and all be left as the bones. Then they scrape the bones together, put them in an ossuary, and then the place is open again for the next relative that's headed there. And all of that dismembering in so many ways, how how can resurrection take place? You know what they always say, what about the guy that he was buried and then this apple tree grew where he was buried and the roots, I think it was Roger Williams, they found the root of the apple tree went right through the top of his head and then wove down through his body. So how many of those molecules of Roger Williams ended up to be apples? And the cows would, you know, how many of those molecules from Roger Williams ended up to be apples and then cow manure? You know, How does God raise that up? Look, scientists have told us that atoms, atomic structure, atoms are fungible. You can make any molecule out of atoms, just the arrangement of things. You and I, the primary part of us, the spirit, that's our software. This is the hardware. If you take a computer you remove the software, it still weighs exactly the same. You do it on a disk or a a flash drive. You remove the software, the information, the hardware, weighs the same. It isn't, there's a difference between the spirit 
in the body. All God needs to raise the body is the software. And it's almost unimaginable to us, immeasurable. Um, Scientists tell us that the DNA in a single cell, beyond our comprehension, and now there's the epigenome sitting above the gene that we're figuring, how does this turn on and off parts of the DNA? How does an egg and a sperm divide from one cell to two, from two to four, from four to eight, from eight to 16, from 16 to 32, and so forth. And then all of a sudden, certain cells decide to become heart cells, certain cells decide to become bone cells. have the same information in every cell. Certain cells decide to become livers. Certain cells decide to become pancreases. And the interesting thing is before those cells make that decision, nerves and blood vessels form there to receive the organ that's going to decide to be there. Scientists in England, Rupert Sheldrake, decided there's morphic resonance, that there's something like conducting the orchestra. We know who that is. It's not morphic resonance. It's Jesus Christ. He controls everything. The miracle of, that's why human life is a miracle from conception. There's something eternal there. And this is destined for resurrection. You know, that's why Paul says, don't join it to a harlot. Don't be involved in all these sinful things because your physical frame has an eschatological destiny. This same physical frame that we sin in is going to be glorified. It's going to be resurrected, but it's going to stand in his presence. And he says, this is the Father's will that I raise it up at the last day. This is the Father's will. This is what, you know, Moses, he tells us, you know, he gave the bread that comes down from heaven. There was no cost to Moses to do that. The man that fell, there was no cost to Moses. But it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The cost to God the Father is unimaginable. We are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says, I pray that you might comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love towards you in Christ Jesus, his only begotten Son. And he says here, it's the will of the Father that not one of you be lost and that I resurrect you at the last day. And there is a last day, mentioned a number of times in Scripture. It's, it's, he's using it in the broad sense here, certainly. But he says, this is the will of the Father. I want my kids home. I want my kids home. I want my sons and daughters at the table.
look at what's going on around us in the world today. We look at the hatred, the insanity, the prejudice, the thievery, the hypocrisy. He has glory for us. He has glory for us. And he sent his son because it's the will of the Father that not one of us be lost and that we would be raised up at the last day. That's our destiny. This is the, this is the blip in eternity, this life. Everything we put on, everything we make of it, it's this little blip. You know, here you have time. It's this little sliver. Eternity goes on and on and on and on and on. And here out of this little sliver, you have all this screaming, all this hatred, nuclear bombs going off, you know, all this insanity. But eternity is where our life is. So he says, he says that here to us remarkably. He, he says, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured. Somebody's always going to do that. The Jews then, now it's talking about the religious Jews when John uses that phrase. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, now they're talking to one another, Murmured is in the imperfect tense, and they said is the imperfect tense, which means it was continuing to go on. These guys were having a hubbub and a huddle, and they're talking to each other. How is it, he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? <laughs> Wrong. He's the son of Mary, but he's not the son of Joseph. Is not this Jesus? the son of Joseph, that's what they believed. In the Talmud, they would write that Jesus Christ was the illegitimate son of Mary. Because they know he was born before Joseph and Mary were married, that he was conceived. They know that much. They said, is not this the son of Joseph? whose father, wrong, and mother we know, how is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? There's so few, you know, look, Christianity today, just Christianity as a whole, how many people are there in the church that don't know Jesus Christ? They're not born again. People say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again Christians. If you ain't born again, you ain't a Christian. There's only one kind of Christian that's born again. There's only a Christian with Christ living in his heart. There's only the Christian who's come to Christ and is never going to be cast out. There's no, no other kind of Christian. But you look at what's standing in pulpits these days. You listen to the immorality that's being preached today. You listen to the insanity that's... You know, we have God's Word. We have His Holy Spirit. And he says, Jesus then says, murmur not among yourselves the present imperative. You must stop griping. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. 
and I will raise him up the last day. Listen, that's true this morning. If you're sitting here criticizing, oh man, I can't believe I want to get out of here and eat pancakes or something. You're griping, doesn't matter. I'm not taking that personally because Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the father that sent me draw him. Interesting word, it's used of drawing a sword. It's used in chapter 21 of the disciples drawing the net ashore. It's used of Paul in the riot in Acts 21 when they had to draw him aside. It actually infers being successfully drawn against resistance. It was a remarkable idea. Jesus says, no man can come to me except my Father in heaven draws him. You know, we, we invite people to be saved. The only reason anybody could be considering that in their heart is because the Father is drawing them. There's a divine work that's taking place. Oh, Jesus, I know Jesus, heard about Jesus. We're like these, I used to son of Joseph and Mary. We're so familiar that we're not familiar at all. We're so familiar that we miss the picture. We live in a culture, America, Judeo-Christian ethic, not doctrine, ethic. And, but you go travel in Europe. You, I've been in Europe, Middle East, all over. They say, well, America's a Christian country. I land back at home and think, well, I don't know what they're looking at. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as a Christian country. There's no such thing as a Christian school. Christian school is a school where Christian parents send their kids that don't want to be there sometimes. Christian college is the place where you can find the drink of parties or the Bible studies. The church, you come here, fellowship, you can find those that love Christ that are committed and you can find those that are compromising. Then they have a club where they all sit outside and say, you know, they need to take the beam out of their own eyes, you know. Let them cast the first stone, they're so smart. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. The Father wouldn't send him without drawing. I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. Interesting thing, he's quoting Isaiah Chapter 54, verse 13, it says, All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. And that's one of the, the verses that was read during the Feast of Tabernacles where he is in Jerusalem. During that feast, there were set verses that were being read. This was part of the liturgy, as it were, for the feast that he's at. It is written in the prophets, they shall be all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. If you don't come to Jesus, you haven't heard anything from any God. There are false gods, but he says anyone who's heard from the true God comes to me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save except he which is of God, he, emphatic again, he and he alone, no one else has seen the Father. Verily, verily, this is the third verily, verily in the discourse. I say unto you, he that believeth on me 
hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Look, I encourage you. You're sitting here listening this morning. I don't know how you got an eight o'clock service if you're not a believer. Uh, No, I do know because I just read it. The father has drawn you. And it's not his will that you should perish, but that you should have everlasting life and be raised up at the last day. Well, Pastor Joe, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sin of my life. You don't know the emptiness. You don't know. God could never want anything to do with me. You know, Saul of Tarsus forced people to blaspheme the name of Jesus at the point of a sword. Said he persecuted them unto death and into prison. And Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and changes his life and he becomes the apostle of grace. Jesus said whom he forgives the most ends up loving him the most. I get a letter once in a while from a friend in prison. His name is David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. He was murdering blondes in New York City years ago. I think he murdered nine girls. Hair dye was sold out Everybody was dyeing their hair brunette or black or some other color. Grew up in a broken home. Said he loved to kill cats and dogs. He was sitting in the closet in the dark. And as he became a man, he began to murder. Got put into prison. They put him in isolation because in a prison population, he wouldn't have lasted long. He said after being in isolation for months, they let him start to walk outside. He said there was one other guy where I was that they'd let walk out there. And he said he'd walk by me and try to tell me about Jesus. And I would curse him. I was so mad. He said, but he wore me down. And one day in my cell, I fall on my knees. And the love of Christ washed over me and cleansed me and set me free. He said, I help the warden now with inmates that are on the spectrum. They have mental things. And he said, I serve. He said, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. I deserve to be here. There are families whose daughters I took that will never forgive me. And I understand. But I know that Jesus Christ loves me and has set me free. You can't sit here this morning and say, well, you don't know my rap sheet. You don't know what I've done. You have to listen within. And if you have that inkling, it's the Father's will. It's visceral. His gut feeling. He wants you. He wants you in the resurrection. He wants you at the table. He He wants you home. Will you resist that? If you feel this morning in your gut... He's drawing me, but how could he ever want? He 
He's drawing me. Well, he's known you from the foundation of the world. He's not surprised at what he's getting. He's not getting a lemon or a bad deal. Because every Christian who gets saved is a lemon and a bad deal. Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners because that's all there was when he got here. We're going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song. I'm going to encourage you if you've never come to Christ, not to Calvary Chapel, not to church, not to a denomination, to Christ. He says, anyone who comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Let's stand. Let's pray together. If you've never come and you want to do that today, as we sing this last song, you can either walk down and stand here. We want to pray with you, give you a copy of the scripture or where you are. You can pray. You can ask Christ to forgive your sins. You can say, Lord, this has got to be real to me. This can't, this can't be phony. I don't want religion. I want relationship. I, I need reality here. And ask his forgiveness. Come to him this morning. Let's pray together and then let's worship. Lord, we put these things before you in one sense, Lord. They are beyond our intellect. They're filled with wonder, Lord. We see here there's time and eternity. And yet, Lord, there's a coming. There's a receiving. You said, in fact, unless we receive the kingdom like children, we'll know in no wise enter in. There's a childlikeness. Father, that you long for us to have towards you in our coming, in our staying. We know that you give, but we know our Savior keeps. So, Lord, we put this before you. And, Lord, any here this morning that have possibly never come, let them in their hearts today, Lord, cry out to you. Let them come today, Lord. In this world that's falling apart, Lord, on the horizontal, let the vertical, let heaven be filled with joy today, Lord, because an eternity has changed. We trust you to do that. Your word says you're the one who adds daily to the church such as should be saved. That is not our work. It's yours. We trust you to do it, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.